Our text this morning is Nehemiah chapter 3. Let's read that together. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built, they built the cheap gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to them, next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors its bolts and its bars, and next to them Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezel, repaired. And next to them Zadok, the son of Bena, repaired. And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, and the son of Basoidea, repaired the gate of Yeshna. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Meronathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Aziel, the son of Harhea, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jadea, the son of Haramath, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashbaniah, repaired. Melchijah, the son of Haram, and Hasab, the son of Pehath Moab repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Melchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhoshe, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of the Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, the ruler of half the district of Bethzer, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavay, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Barak, the son of Zabai, repaired, 
another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib the high priest. After him, Merimoth the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padea, the son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if you've ever read chapter 3 of Nehemiah before. If you're in the habit of reading through the whole Bible, you must have read through Nehemiah, but maybe you skip over chapters like this or quickly run through them on the way to more exciting passages. Maybe you were even wondering as we read it this morning, why in the world would he choose to preach on this? What is he thinking? Did this cross your mind? Be honest. Well, I hope that as we look more carefully at this chapter, we'll see that this is far from being a dry, boring construction report. It's not just a list. It's a beautiful snapshot, or better, a panoramic video of a very special community in action, the communion of saints. Maybe it will help to bring the dead bones to life by dressing them up in more familiar clothes. Imagine we were to receive a page out of God's heavenly register this morning like this one in Nehemiah 3, but it covered last week's Sunday service, what would it say? Maybe it would say something like this. The Ron Rapp family was our host family. James and Isaac ushered us into the sanctuary. Joel and Brandon greeted everyone with a liturgy sheet. Elder Tote led the worship service. Alex accompanied the singing. Colleen, Desiree, Hannah, Kiana, Terry, Deborah, Benjamin, and Zachary watched the kids in the nursery. And Elsha, Carrie, Charlotte, Eileen, Andrea, Marion, Jillian, Rachel, and Laura hosted a coffee social. The elders lovingly looked to see if their sheep were in attendance. The deacons collected the offering, and everyone sat side by side in the pews. 
Are you getting the picture? This isn't a list. This is the communion of saints in action. Nehemiah 3 is all about the beauty of the gospel displayed in the ordinary building of a wall around Jerusalem. And, we'll see, it's about Christ building his church through his people. So, my theme this morning is, Christ calls and equips you to build his church. First, we'll look at Nehemiah's wall. As we get started here, the most striking aspect of the building project is the variety of people involved. Did you notice it? It's clear from the very beginning, the first to be mentioned are the high priest, Eliashib, and his fellow priests who rebuild the sheep gate and, we're told later, also make repairs in front of their own houses. The spiritual leaders of the people take the initiative in the rebuilding process, and they're the ones leading the way. They set the tone. Now, things were much different than they are here now, but we can probably assume that for many of these priests, construction was not their strong suit. They knew how to sacrifice a sheep or a goat just so, but build a wall? You have to think of some bookish-type peoples stepping out of their offices to join in with heavy lifting. They would have had minimal experience in such work. But these spiritual leaders roll up their sleeves, put their hands to the task, and lead the people by example. But it's not just the priests who are out of their depth in the rebuilding of the wall. Did you notice the other occupations mentioned? There's Azul, son of Harhea, and Malkaija, both goldsmiths more accustomed to working with fine metals than stones and timbers. And their fellow goldsmiths are also busy building the wall between the sheep gate and the room above the corner. The hard work of building the walls must have ruined their hands, which were so important for their profession. But that doesn't matter right now. Beside them is Hananiah, a perfume maker, who could be counted on to know what just the right combination of plant and animal products and oils to make a wonderful scent. But he is busy ma making repairs on the wall beside the goldsmith. The merchants have left behind their stalls in the marketplaces and they're wheeling and dealing with the neighboring cities and tribes to pick up a chisel and a hammer. But it's not just the tradespeople who are busy. The rulers of the different city districts are involved too. Raphaia, Shalom, Melchijah, Shalon, Nehemiah, yeah, another one, Hashabiah, and Ezer. They're not too proud to get their hands dirty. Their wealth and their status doesn't keep them from rubbing shoulders with the others. The only flies in the ointment are the nobles of Tekoa, who wouldn't put their shoulders to the task. They wouldn't submit to anyone. But the men of Tekoa more than made up for it. They repaired not one, but two sections of the wall. As they built their second section of wall, they did so alongside the temple servants who also pitched in. And you must have noticed who was working with Shalom and Halahesh, ruler of a half district. He built his section with the help of his daughters. Now maybe it wouldn't raise any eyebrows if the women here worked alongside their husbands and fathers in building a wall around this property, but this was a different time and age. And so it's striking that here, maybe because Shalom didn't have any sons to help him, the daughters stepped up to the plate. They exchanged their traditional places around the fire, cooking food, or at the riverside washing clothes for a spot at the wall. Of course they did. 
they had a share in Jerusalem too. And then there's Barak, son of Zabbai, who zealously repaired another section. He stands out too. He must have been especially committed to the built rebuilding of the wall. Perhaps he was young, on fire for God, eager to spend his energy on the holy city. Are you beginning to see it? This isn't a list. This is the communion of saints in action. This isn't your typical construction project. There are no carpenters or expert builders mentioned. Do you remember Bezalel and Aholiab, the expert craftsmen and artists who were in charge of building the tabernacle? Well, here no one is singled out for that role. Everyone is sacrificing their own interests for the sake of the building project. This is the communion of saints. People of every stripe and color and of every interest and expertise working side by side for a common goal. The building up of the city where God had chosen his, to place his name. Can you picture it? This isn't a list. It's the people of God, each busy constructing the wall in front of their houses, and then, when they're done, moving on to the next unfinished section. Imagine the bustle of activity around the city as the people abandon their regular tasks to work together. Notice how many times the beautiful words next to him and next to them are mentioned. The saints are working side by side, shoulder to shoulder. What a picture of unity and harmony. What a beautiful snapshot of single-minded pursuit of God's glory. Because that's what it was, sure, the wall was, one of, was of some importance for security reasons. But realistically speaking, Jerusalem was under the protection of the Persian Empire, and the surrounding nations wouldn't risk the wrath of the Persian king by attacking this city. No, far more important than security was the fact that this was Jerusalem. This was Zion, the holy city God had chosen as a dwelling for his name. God had chosen this city from among all the other cities of the world as the place where he would live in covenant fellowship with his people. And if it, was his, if it was special to God, then it was special for his people too. Just think of the song of, of the exiles some years before. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Psalm 137. And so the wall wasn't so important for protecting the inhabitants of Jerusalem, although it did that too. Instead, it was a symbol of God's presence among them. The walls gave security, not so much in being so well built or formidable, but in reminding the people that God was with them, that he was a wall around them. In fact, far more important than the fact that the walls were being rebuilt was the reality that God was rebuilding the communion of saints. Through the building process, we see the Lord at work, refocusing the hearts of the people on him and on each other. That's the beauty of this constru construction project. The people of God were being shaped into a communion of saints. Now we'll look at our second point, Christ's church. The same is true, even more richly today. When Christ came to dwell among us, he removed all spiritual and physical barriers between God and his people. Sin no longer separates us from the holy God. The spiritual barriers have been removed. 
That also means that there's no longer a place for the physical city of, David, of Jerusalem or for its temple because access to God is opened up completely to each and every believer through Jesus Christ. That means that the new place for, this, for his name isn't a city with walls and a temple. Instead, God lives with his people in the new Jerusalem, a spiritual reality that is even greater and more glorious than the old. This new Jerusalem is the church. This new Jerusalem is right here. And this new Jerusalem is also in the building phase. She's built on Christ the cornerstone, on Christ the solid rock. He's at work building this new city, but these walls aren't built with brick and mortar, but with living stones. You are these living stones. You've been chosen by God for this new Jerusalem, and he's building you into a spiritual house set apart for him. The building project of Nehemiah's day is just a foreshadowing of the construction project going on today. Christ, the master craftsman, is at work here, building the new Jerusalem with living stones. That means that each one of you is a vital part of Christ's construction project. You belong in the communion of saints because it's the only church that you become living stones. Only here do you serve your purpose. A Christian outside the communion of saints is like the rubble around Jerusalem before its wall was rebuilt. So what can we learn from this busy construction site in Jerusalem about the church building work of God? For one, there's beautiful diversity, and that's the way it ought to be. There are people from different backgrounds, from the Netherlands, from Iran, from Sudan, and homegrown Canadians too. There are people with different occupations, engineers, law enforcers, tradesmen, landscapers, nurses, teachers, and housewives. There are people with different levels of education. There are people at different income levels. There are married people and single people, big families and small families. Each of you brings something different to our congregation. You are all unique. And so you each contribute to the diversity. And that is a beautiful thing. The church is made up of all sorts of people because the gospel is for every kind of person. And yet with all that diversity, there's deep unity. That unity is found in Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of the church. He is our solid rock, our foundation. He is the source of our unity, and it's his spirit that holds us together, like the mortar of Nehemiah's wall. We are one in Christ and by his spirit, but there's also unity in purpose. Nehemiah 3 is all about single-minded focus. Everyone is working towards the same goal, building the wall. The same goes for the church. We're all united by the same goals. We exist as church to glorify God to build each other up, and to broadcast the gospel into the world. We reach upward to God, inward to each other, and outward to the world. That's what it means to build the walls of Jerusalem today. Those are pretty lofty goals, aren't they? Pretty incredible ones to be a part of, too. It's a special thing to be involved, for example, with outreach programs and to see them bear fruit. It's an existence exciting thing to be involved in social work in our communities or to do home visits and see the beautiful work God is doing here in the communion of saints. But the work isn't always glamorous. 
Sometimes the work is very difficult, and at other times the work is quite ordinary. Sometimes it gives you blisters, chipped fingernails, and sore backs. Sometimes you're called to serve in the kitchen. Sometimes you're called to cook a meal. Sometimes you're called to clean up the tables and chairs. Can you keep the vision then? Can you see the greater purpose? You may have heard the saying, everyone wants a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes, but the dishes need to be done. And you may have to do them. The question is, can you see that the ordinary work is also church building work? If you can, you'll see it has its own glamour because it's for the glory of God, the building up of his people and the spread of the gospel. You'll notice in the end that everyone is expected to be involved. The nobles of Tekoa get singled out for not working because they were supposed to be working. So the question isn't whether you're going to be involved in the church, it's where. And so each of you will have to consider where Christ calls you to join in his church building work. That might involve thinking of the special abilities God has given you, and it might involve thinking about your special interests. But don't wait to join in until you've figured that all out. Sometimes we need to stop trying to figure out our gifts of in or interest and just see opportunities and then get to work. And if you're really at a loss, then just start or keep praying. After all, that's the most important work anyway. You may have noticed in the description in chapter 3 something that I haven't really addressed yet. Many of the people did the work in front of their own houses or beside their houses. There's something in that. The first reason was likely a practical one. Nehemiah figured that if they rebuilt the wall in front of their own house, they'd have a vested interest in making sure that, the, that it was built really well. Back in 1948, when the state of Israel was founded and there was a battle for the city of Jerusalem, the Jews were under siege in Jerusalem. At a certain point, some people wanted to evacuate the women and children while there was still a chance. Dove Joseph, the man in charge of provisions, refused. He figured that the men would fight better if they knew their families were on the line. Maybe that's part of Nehemiah's strategy with the workers here. He figured they'd build better that way. But there's a practical principle too. Sometimes the church building work we're called to do is right under our noses. Sometimes the work starts in your own front yard. Instead of stepping over the rubble to get to another spot, let's put our hands to the work right in front of us. Can you see it there? And can you start there? Because it's ultimately not about our gifts, talents, and interests anyway. The goldsmiths had the gifts for fine craftsmanship and were passionate about it. But they worked on the wall. It was hard, backbreaking, unromantic work, but it needed to be done. And they were there to do it. Christ doesn't ask you to apply yourself to his building project only if you are already if you already have the special gifts for it. There may be some expert home builders here this morning, but there are no expert church builders. When Christ calls you to work, he doesn't do it because he needs you or because you're just the right person for the job. Instead, he calls you to do it and then he makes you the right person for the job. He'll equip you through his spirit. Trust him to do that. And then you will set to work in the church of Christ 
you'll see that he's building you up too. So don't wait to join in. Don't be content to sit on the sidelines. Stand shoulder to shoulder and do the hard work together. And be encouraged by this. None of your work for Christ is meaningless. The very fact that the Spirit inspired Nehemiah to include the list of people on the pages of Holy Scripture ought to encourage us. Look at this list again when you come home and remind yourself of this. God sees and recognizes the work you do for him, each of you, personally, by name. You aren't just numbers. You aren't just names on a list. You are living stones built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Nehemiah's wall has collapsed over the years, and all that's left are some traces that remind us it was there. But the Church of Christ is the only structure that will last forever. Even the gates of hell can't prevail against it, because Christ, the solid rock, can't be shaken, and his work in and through us will never be broken. Amen. As a song of response, let's stand and sing together from him. 84.